We're working through the book of Ephesians. We started at the beginning of 2021, and uh, it's broken up into four different series that we are working through. Uh, chapters one through three is working off of the believer's blessing, and uh, that has been our topic. Then, um, and then chapters uh, four, one through five, twenty-one, we're breaking up to the believer's behavior. And then um, in chapters five, twenty-two, and then chapter six, nine. Uh, we're working on the believer's family, and then we're working on the believer's battle to finish it up. Looking at the process of going through the book of Ephesians, we're going to finish the first series uh, this morning because we're going to finish chapter 3 um, this morning. So next week we're going to work into the believer's behavior and start at chapter 4. And we'll continue to do that um, until, um, until the 1st of July. And then I have a, um, a month off where I'm going to go hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And then we'll come back in September. And then we'll start again with the Believer's Family. And I haven't decided yet to um, really put a lot of weight into the Believer's Family. I almost think I will. And uh, keep the Believer's Family all the way till Christmas. Um, just because the need for it and the richness of the passage that is given in Ephesians. And then that would put us into 2022, walking through the Believer's Battle um, in those things. I know I said a year... And I'm stretching a little bit. But hopefully you guys are enjoying the book as there's so much information in this book that uh, we don't want to skip um, any of the information that we're looking at. So let's just review the believer's blessing. If you look at the, um, the, the statements that are on your notes, believer is blessed by being chosen, adopted, redeemed, with wisdom and insight, with, with being sealed. This is taking place in chapter 1. And then Paul gives a prayer and a believer is blessed by being able to know God in regards to that prayer. And then move into chapter 2. Believers are blessed with salvation, grace, blessed with the church, blessed, last week we talked about being a conduit of Christ's glory. And then Paul ends chapter 3 with a prayer, and that is what we're going to look at this morning. We're also being blessed by being able to experience God. It's interesting you have two different prayers, being able to know God, and then we're going to talk about this morning being able to experience God. So let's look at the passage, and then we'll look at the challenges from it. Ephesians three fourteen through 21 says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As we look at this um, prayer as a whole, which is a very powerful prayer, one of the, I believe, the second most powerful prayer in the Bible, besides the Lord's Prayer that takes place in the Gospels. But as we look at this prayer, uh, we see that it's, it's written to the Christians. It's written to you. It's written to me if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's also written to the church of Ephesus, the church there. So it's written to the church, the believers that are there. But I want you to notice in verse or chapter six, or I'm sorry, in verse sixteen, he says this: "I pray that Christ will dwell in our hearts." Now, if I'm a believer, I was saved at a young age, and if I'm a believer, when I accept Christ as my Savior, doesn't Christ already dwell in my hearts? 
Well, Paul's praying for the church, and he said, I pray that Christ will dwell in his hearts. He's praying it right now, but doesn't Christ already dwell in your hearts? He does it again in chapter 18. He says, I pray that you know the love of Christ. How do you become a Christian? Uh, Keith Green says, what is a Christian? Somebody who's bananas for Jesus. Somebody who loves the Lord God with all the heart, soul, strength, and mind. But Paul's praying for it. I pray that every believer will know the love of Christ. But we already have it, don't we? Verse 19 says, I pray that you'll be filled with the fullness of God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation, and the Bible's very clear about that. <clears throat> so why is Paul praying for it? Why is Paul praying for it if we already have it? In fact, he's going through the prayer. He's praying for almost everything that we already have as believers. What is Paul, what has taken place, and why is Paul so fervently praying that Christians would receive something that they already have? The reason why he's doing it, and the only reason that you can come up with, is that we have it, but many of us don't experience it. We have it, but we, we don't experience it. Remember the first verse that's been driving the entire passage, or driving the entire book? It says, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus from the heavenly realms. You have been blessed. It means you have absolutely everything, but the problem is that we don't experience what we have. In the last prayer, he talked about, well, you don't know what you have. I pray that you'll know it. And then this prayer, he said, I pray that you will experience. And I know that we're a, a Baptist church, <laughs> a conservative Baptist church, not a charismatic Baptist church. But I will tell you that there is an experience that God wants us to have with him, an absolute experience that we cannot neglect because it is the heartbeat of the Christian life. There is a large difference to know God's love than to experience God's love. There's a large difference. There's a large difference to know that God cares about you than to experience that God cares about you. There's a large difference to know that Christ will not let you go. And then there's a different thing of thinking about, I feel like Christ hasn't let me go and won't let me go. I am experiencing it and I'm resting into it. In fact, the whole Bible gives us a whole bunch of logic. But what are we supposed to do with the logic? We're supposed to experience what is mentioned, experience what has taken place. I mean, you hear the words that you are a sinner. I mean, when you hear those words that you're a sinner, we're supposed to know that. But what happens if you start experiencing that you're a sinner? You start experiencing this. What happens from moving from knowing to experiences is that you look at the cross completely differently. <laughs> I am a sinner and I receive what? I receive that? The cross all comes in a different perspective if we start experiencing that we're a sinner. If we're experiencing that we're a sinner, we don't look our nose down at other people because we're all sinners. Now, if we know we're a sinner, yeah, we can look our nose down at other people. Yeah, I'm a sinner, but you know, we just say, but that person's a lot worse. But if we start to experience it, start to feel it, start to see it, start to know it from the depths of our being where it's moving us and emotionally, we can't look our nose down at other people. We can't judge people. We can't, you know, be, a, we'd be a patient, kind person that everybody would want to come even talk to and lean on if we would experience the simple fact that we were a sinner. Experience is a powerful, powerful, powerful tool, and it is what the Bible is about. It's exactly what the Bible is about. In fact, as the Bible is giving you 
all the directives and all the words in the cross and the gospel and everything that's in it, it's because a Bible desires that you experience it. Unfortunately, many people are not affected by what we know is true. The Bible is true, but it doesn't affect us. And the reason why it doesn't affect us is because we don't experience it. So here's Paul, and he's going to make a prayer to the church. Back in Ephesus, he knew that this letter was going to last 2,000 years if the world lasted 2,000 years. So he knew that this was going to get passed on to us today. And his cry out is that you will experience these six things. Six prayer requests that Paul brings out, asking us for us, asking God that we would experience them. Number one request, let's look at each request, that we would experience strength and power in our inner being. Just to set this passage up, we need to understand what was going on back in the day when Paul was writing this letter, penning this letter. Uh, They were being persecuted. The church was being persecuted. And as they're being persecuted, we have it written of what was taking place to Paul. And what was taking place to Paul was taking place to others. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We are in danger for our countrymen. We're in danger for Gentiles. I've been danger at sea, danger by our false brothers. We're going through sleepless nights. We're without food. We're cold, naked, stoned, beaten, and many were killed. We know all that for a fact. So if Paul was going to pray for these disciples that were being persecuted, why does he pen, not pen, help their situation? Why does he pen or not pen help their circumstances? Paul goes automatically deeper than the situations and deeper than the circumstances that the apostles were being faced with, that the disciples were being faced with. In fact, he doesn't even say, God protect them, God heal them, God change their situation, God make them uh, make them take care of them in the process of, of, of the situations they're faced with. I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but Paul only has one fast prayer where he wants to give the church a punch. And he doesn't pray for the situations out there under this fast prayer. I'm not saying they're wrong, but under this fast prayer, he does not pray for this. He prays for something else. I pray that their inner beings would have strength and power. He makes a focus and a distinction from situations, from the world we live in, from the material world we live in, and he makes a distinction saying, I know it's crazy. I know it's nuts. I know it's falling apart. Therefore, I pray specifically for your inner being. Paul understands that when we walk out the door, if our inner being is healthy, it's going to be good. We can face the world we live in no matter what takes place in the world. But Paul also understands that if our inner being is bad, it doesn't make a difference if our world is prospering like no other or if your life is prospering like no other. He's prioritizing something above something else. And he's prioritizing the inner being above the situations and the circumstances we live in. I pray for their inner being. What is the inner being? It is the deepest part of the person, the soul, the heart, the spirit, the part that will last forever. It is the you, and when you go to heaven, the inner being will go to heaven, and your body will go to the ground, insinuating and showing that we live in a world that is falling apart, tangled by sin, and death marks our way for your body and the world, but not for our inner beings. That's why Paul is pushing the prayer. I pray 
for specifically their inner beings. And they ask for two things. He prays for strength, which means strong, tough, enduring. And then he prays for power, which means force, energy, and might. What Paul is saying is make your inner being a completely entire priority, and I pray that they would be strong, tough, enduring, force, energy, and might as they live in this crazy world. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of this glorious riches, you, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Christianity is not simply about solving problems, but it's empowering us to get through the problems. It's empowering us to raise above everything that we're faced with. It's empowering us to be so powerful that other people who have problems come and lean on us because we have strength, we have power, we have might, we have energy, and the world needs a taste of it. And he has given out believers to walk in this crazy world to stand above it so the world will look and say, what does a believer have? And whatever that believer has, I want it. Then the church is all of a sudden packed. They're all of a sudden filled. This is what's in Paul's mind in regards to those disciples that are walking out in a persecuted world. I pray that their inner being would be strong. That's his first request. That's his second request that we would experience Christ's rule and reign in our hearts. He's not used the word rule and reign. He uses the word dwell. Let's read the passage and then work off the word dwell. Ephesians 3, 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell, what does it mean? It means to take up permanent residence, to live in a home, to enter, to settle down, and to be at home with. Paul is asking, Christ, would you be at home with every single believer? The believers would stand aware that they are conscious that you are at home with them. That when they walk around this world, they would know that you are the king, that you reign, and that you rule in every single one of their hearts. No matter what taking place in the world, I pray that they would have and experience the richness of you reigning in their hearts. That's what Paul is praying for. When you look at the word heart, what is heart? When the Bible speaks of heart, it means it's something that drives all your faculties. It drives your mind, it drives your actions, it drives your will, it drives your emotions, it drives everything. The heart is the center of the person that pumps blood to the entire system. So the Bible starts referring to heart. He's saying, I want you to have your heart completely, God dwelling completely in it, so it'll it'll pump life to all your different faculties that are taking place. And if your heart is changed, everything is going to be changed. In fact, when an EMT walks in the door and you're laying on the ground, what's the first thing they check? They check your pulse. Why? If your heart's dead, you're dead. If your heart's dead, you're not dead. It is a thing that makes you alive. It is a thing that will send you. It will make you. It will drive you. It will move you. It will motivate you. And I pray that every single believer would have Christ experience the fact that Christ dwells in their heart through this object of faith. That's what I want for every believer to have. Yes, God lives in our heart, but I pray that they know that God lives in their heart. I pray that they experience it. They feel it. They touch it. They understand it. Quest number three, that we would feel 
like we are rooted and established in Christ's love. Planted some grapes, just replacement grapes because I killed my other grapes with Roundup, just if you wanted to know, as you know that I'm not a very good farmer. So I, I uh, bought some grapes, and they're bare root grapes. And I looked at the bare root grapes, and they just are just tiny, with little tiny roots on them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, they're going to die. Because I tried to do this a couple years ago, and they all died. And so this time, I bought them at $10 a piece, which is 40 bucks. I'm going to put 40 bucks in the dirt. I mean, and, and last time it didn't come up. I'm hoping this time it comes up, but I'm passionate that this time it would come up. So I read about it. Yeah, fertilize, put water in the fertil- fertilizer in the water, and then water them, but don't drown them once a week, you know, periodically, those things. So I did that. I planted them about a month and a half ago, and I've been uh, taking care of them very intensely and making sure that they don't get too much water, make sure they get the fertilizer. But I did not know what was going on with them. And the reason why is because they're not supposed to bloom yet. The roots are supposed to go, but I don't get to see the roots go. So I look at the top of them, and I said, this thing is dead. I know this thing is dead. And every time I water them, I'm like, I know it's dead. And last week, I found out what was really going on. Because I grabbed one, and I pulled it, and it came right out of the ground, and those roots didn't go anywhere. I'm like, how could this not live? So then I went to the other one, and I grabbed it, and I pulled on it. And all of a sudden, these roots were just, just came right up out of the ground. I'm like, oh, well, this one went somewhere. And then I went to another one, and I pulled it. It's like, does this have roots? And it popped out of the ground, too. But it had lots of roots that were coming out of it. And then I pulled the other one, and it's like, oh, wow, this came out of the ground, too. It's like, I'm doing a great job. I just killed them all over again. Don't worry. I planted them back again. But my joy was when the roots took root. Because if the roots take root, I get a product. I get fruit. I get a plant. It's like these things are solid, and if they're solid, the roots are solid, then they're alive. And if they're not solid, then they're completely dead. But you don't know they're solid until, unless you can look inside of the ground. This is Paul's prayer. Ephesians 3.17. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, rooted and established in love, What does that mean? It means to the point of experience Christ's love so much that you are alive, that you are grounded, that you are secure, that you are powerful, and that you are confident. I pray that your roots go so deep in God's love that you'll be the rock that your children need, rock that your mate needs, rock that your country needs. Paul's going way past situations. Because there's so many situations to pray for. But he's going right to the heart of where the church needs to be at. And this comment is that they'll be rooted and established in love. Number fourth prayer request, he says this, that we grasp Christ's love. Being rooted and established moves to number four, that we had grasp it. What does grasp mean? Grasp means to lay a hold of, to obtain, to take possession of. If I ask somebody, you know, does Christ love you? Um, a lot of people would question it. Hmm, have you seen my life? Have you seen really what's taking place? My life is falling apart. And as my life is falling apart, I ask the question, does Christ really love me? 
Because if Christ loved me, my life would not fall apart. And they bring an evaluation on their life and their situations and their circumstances in regards to whether Christ loves them or not. And if the situations or circumstances are bad, then Christ doesn't love you. And if they're good, then Christ loves you. But Christ doesn't work that way. Christ doesn't even want you to view him that way whatsoever. This is how Christ wants you to view him. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. One word we pass over really fast is the word loved in the past tense. It does not say God loves the world because if God loves the world, we will always question it. But if God says, I so loved the world and I loved the world this much, the item that took place 2,000 years ago. I loved the world this much, the item that take place 2,000 years ago. We go up underneath the cross, and we go up underneath the cross, that is the only place that we will experience the depth of Christ's love. Yeah, when we get a blessing, it's like, oh, God loves me because he blessed me. That is not deep. That is not powerful. That's not strong. Maybe he blessed you to curse you. I don't know. But when we go back to the cross, his love was all of a sudden displayed to the greatest extent. And the reason why John 3.16 says God loved the world because he wants you to travel back and to experience the depth of it. And the depth of it rests underneath the cross. It does not rest in your situation that you're faced with right now. He wants you to travel back there because that is the place that you experience your love. And as soon as you start doubting it, what does he want you to do? He wants you to travel back there. We have a uh, lady in our church who lost her dad a couple years ago, and um, she uh, posted on the anniversary of losing her dad. Her dad passed away. Uh, she did a long post on Facebook, and I asked her permission if I could tell this story and talk a little bit about um, her post. Her dad was a welder, and when she was a child, her dad would come home, and she remembers jumping on her dad's lap. And when she jumped on her dad's lap, what did her nostrils feel, uh, fill with? <laughs> the smell of a welder. And then as she grew older, dad would come home. It's like, ah, oh, dad's home. You can tell, dad's home. And uh, it brought memories. It brought strength. Well, after her dad died, her husband took over the business. And after her husband took over the business, her husband now walks in the door. And as her husband walks in the door, she grabs a hold of him and gives him a hug. And what fills her nostrils? The smell of a welder. And she gave that story in a Facebook post. It's amazingly powerful that even when I wrap my arms around my husband, those memories of me loving my dad come back, and they're absolutely rich. She is experiencing something, and she even made the statement, it feels like my dad is alive for a moment as I close my eyes and love my husband. My dad is alive even through my husband in this process her, her dad was extremely rich. She experienced her love then, but she's also experiencing it just even now because of the impact they had on her life. It's the same way with the gospel. Looking back 2,000 years ago, it's supposed to bring it alive. <laughs> it's supposed to bring us alive. It's supposed to give us an experience that this is how much I loved. I laid my life down for my people, and that is the one thing that has to be in our mind when we start co- uh, talking about the context of God's love. Ephesians three seventeen says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints 
to grasp, lay a hold of, to obtain, to take possession of how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. It is said in the word of how long and wide and high and how deep it is, but it's not here right now. It is back there. We need to go that direction. Number five, fifth request, that we experience Christ's love. I have three dogs, and um, I'm reminded um, every day that uh, the reason why we have three dogs is because of my decision, not my girl's decision, because two of them are big and one of them is small, and uh, they love me. Um, the two dogs, bigger dogs, love me more than the little dog. Um, we just, you know, we have a little conflict that goes on. But the two dogs, you know, they, they love me. And when, when I'm sleeping in the morning, it's the dogs that wake me up because when they need to get out, they need to get my attention. And the way they get my attention is to take their big tongue and to lick my face. And, uh, and just to put this in perspective, when you sleep or when I sleep, everything relaxes, your mouth falls open, and your defenses are not up. And then after the lick is when you wake up, and that's when the defenses rise. I do not like to experience the love of my dogs, but that is what takes place. However, I do like to experience the love of my wife. <laughs> Move from the dogs to the wife. You know how it works, you know? That's it. I want to experience the love of my wife. And when I experience the love of my wife, what, what takes place? <laughs> I'm emotionally strong. I'm excited. I feel valuable. I feel good. I feel like it's something I need. It feels like it, feels in, it, feel, it feeds in a gap. I feel like I am somebody of even importance. Because when I look at my wife and who she is and thinking how wonderful she is, like a woman like that loves me, a woman like that is married to me, it just says a lot when you experience it. In fact, it provides you a whole bunch of things as you experience it. Here's Paul speaking. I don't want you to know that you, God loves you. I want you to experience that. Ephesians 3.19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know this love is not to logically understand it, because you have the word knowledge in there. Know it is to experience it beyond your knowledge. <laughs> you know, I can be educated when my wife says, I love you, and I think that's wonderful, and I need that, and I like it, but there's something else when I experience it that just brings a freshness, that brings a strength, that brings an endurance, that brings an excitement with that is experienced, and God, or Paul is saying in this passage, I want you to experience this love that goes beyond your brains, and this is hard for many people because they look at the Bible in the context of it's a lot of rules, it's a lot of information that I might not understand, it's a, it's a book and I don't like to read, and it's a lot of logistics, and, and I get convicted because I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. This is what the Bible says. I want to experience, God wants you to experience him. He wants to experience his love. All the logic that is given in the word of God is for you to experience God. That he exists and that he is there, and that he is passionate about you, more than your wife even exists, or your husband exists, more than she is in there, is even there, than he is there. I mean, he puts it in the context that I want you to know that I'm more present in your, wife, your life than even your mates. Every time you walk around, I want you to feel like, boy, the presence of God's love 
is there, and I can experience it no matter where I go, just as you've experienced it with your mate. Number six, request six, that we'd be filled with a measure of the fullness of God. What does it look like when a person's cup is filled up? Because looking at filled with the measure of the fullness of God, a person's cup is filled up is they need nothing else. Somebody says, you are my all. Somebody says, I am completely satisfied. My cup overflows. I have all this love where it satisfies me, and I enjoy the love that comes from here, but this love carries so much weight that if this love did not come from here, this love right here would be enough. That's what it means to be full. I am so wealthy, I need need nothing more. I have it all. I'm satisfied means I am so happy, so much joy, I have it all what Christ is wanting us to experience, that we are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Look at the passage as it gives more weight. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all, more than we all ask or can even imagine. I will give you more than you can measure, um, you can even ask or even imagine, and you're already fooled extremely with me, according to his power that is in work within us. This is Paul's prayer. Why is this Paul's prayer? Because God wants us to be alive. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be filled. God wants us to have security. God wants us to have strength. God wants us to have power in a fallen world. And he knows that if our insides carry that power and carry that weight, his name would be proclaimed through the fallen world. Paul is making this prayer to the church for the purpose of displaying God's power to a broken world that is dying and laying in shambles and being destroyed. As he's praying this, it's a prayer that we can take. What I mean by prayer that we can take is that... Um, I have a, a prayer journal, and, and in my prayer journal, I do a lot of praying scripture. In other words, there's a lot of prayers that are in the Bible. And as David is saying a prayer, or as Paul is saying a prayer, as Jesus is saying a prayer, I, um, I know you're not supposed to add to scripture, but I change it a little bit, and I put it into first person. And as I put it into first person, if Paul is going to say this, if David's going to say this, if Jesus is going to say this, I'm going to say it as well. Take this prayer. And let's put it in the first person. If you look in your notes, you'll see it in first person, what I'm talking about. If Paul said it to me 2,000 years ago, why don't I pray it for myself? God, please, help me to experience your strength and power within. God, please, help me to experience your rule and reign in my heart. God, please, help me to feel rooted and established in love. God, please, help me to grasp how wide and how long how high and how deep your love is for me. God, please help me to experience your love. God, please help me to be filled, satisfied to the measure of your fullness. If a prayer is good for me, that prayer could be good for your children as well. You can change it a little bit. We pray for our children. We pray consistently for our children. But look at this. God, please help my children by name to experience your strength and power within God, please help my children to experience your rule and reign. All of a sudden, you're praying for the inside 
strength of a person. We can pray for our mate, and we can pray for our church in regards to this prayer. Hang on to this prayer and use it. Paul is praying it for us. Let's pray it for each other. Let's pray it for ourselves. Let's close in a word of prayer, and as we do, I just want to pray this prayer for our body. God, help us to experience your strength and your power within. God, we do not want to be swept away by a world that thinks it has strength and power. We know for a fact you carry the strength and you carry the power and you can touch us inside, God, and change us no matter what our situations and circumstances are. We ask that you grant it to us as a body. God, please help us to experience your rule and reign in our hearts. God, we do not want to be ruled by anything other than you whatsoever. I just pray, God, that we will not be ruled by situations, that we will not be ruled by the media, that we will not be ruled by the government, that we will not be ruled by anything, God, that is beyond of you. We want you to know that you rule and reign and dwell in our hearts. Give us an understanding of that. God, please help us to feel rooted and established in love. Our children need rocks to lean on, and our country needs rocks to lean on. Our people at work need rocks to lean on. And I just pray, God, that we'd be the rooted rock that they need. God, please help us to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep your love is for us. God, we know it. We see it in your word. But help us to grasp it. Please help us to experience your love, God. God, every time we walk out the door, wherever we're at, whether we're alone or whether we're with people, God, I just pray, God, that we will know that you are present and that we're loved by you. And then, God, please, Help us to be filled, satisfied by the measure of your fullness. We do want our cup overflowing because, God, we want to be alive in this crazy world. We want to be powerful in this crazy world. We want to be strong in this crazy world. We want to be a resource, God, for people that need strength. And I just pray, God, that we'd be the fullness, that your fullness, God, would completely and entirely fill us up to the brim so we can be those people. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.